through Super Bowl Sunday, we began a chronological journey through the Bible in 31 different sections. We used the novel form of the Bible called The Story. It's still available in Cafe Aroma. You can pick it up online on Amazon. or we, we, uh, If you don't have the money, we'll give it to you. Uh, but it helps people that have struggled journeying through the Bible, maybe getting stuck somewhere in the book of Numbers, you know. I mean, it's hard to even pay the bills, let alone read the book of Numbers, you know. And, and, and we get stuck somewhere in there and like, well, when did this happen? And we wanted to help people journey through the Bible uh, and do a sermon series that would help a accomplish that. There in your worship guide, there is a little survey. It's two questions long. We'd love for you to fill that out. It's two questions. Uh, do that towards the end during our offering. Fill that out and drop it in the offering plate. We want to see kind of how we've progressed over these last several weeks. Today is the finale of the story, and I'm so excited that we've been able to, as a church body, move through this beautiful story. Story is a language. You don't even know the same language as someone, but, but through your hands and, and through your motions, you can tell a story. And God chose not to prove himself or show himself through some kind of mathematical equation that runs the universe. Instead, he, he chose to show himself through an incredible story. And the story is still being written. It started in the garden, but way even before the garden, when in the beginning he created the heavens and the earth, the Bible says in the last book of the Bible, Revelation, that before the foundations of the earth were formed, when we're, this was still nothing and God had not formed the earth, there was a plan that the Lamb of God, the Son of God, would be slain. And sure enough, we see that there is this awesome connectivity with God in the garden, but sin enters the issue and breaks the whole thing up. Something has to die to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. It starts this process of trying to cover our sin with sacrifice to the point where a nation is, is built and that nation of Israel, they have good times where they're lifting their hands to God and other times they push in a cold shoulder to God. Then we see Jesus in the form of a human show up on earth and we see the ministry of Jesus in the flesh showing us that God wants to get personal. That God isn't just God in the heaven leaning over the wall of, of, of heaven figuring out what we're doing or what we're not doing, keeping tabs on whether you've been naughty or nice. That he, he is a real God, God with us. And then Jesus comes onto the scene and he says, not only am I going to be God with you, but I'm going to give you the spirit and I'll be God in you. And then with the power of the Holy Spirit, he empowers every person who calls on the name of the Lord. He gives that Christian gifts and he empowers us. So not only is he God with us, but he's God in us. And then the best thing is he's God in us, guiding us. That's the story of God. And we see the death and resurrection of Jesus. And for 40 days, he's still around and 400 witnesses see him. And there comes time for him to to ascend into heaven, for him to, to do the final statements. And the disciples are hanging with him up on top of the Mount of Olives, and, and they're saying, hey, when are you going to, like, fix the kingdom here? When are you going to take Pontius Pilate and, like, throw him out and, like, you be the king? And he says, uh, that, that, that's not even going to happen right now. That, that's, don't even worry about that kind of power struggle. I don't worry about that power. I want to give you a different power. And he says, I'm going to give you power to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. And basically he gives the part of the story that you and I are living in today. And that's the story of the church. Where we are the hands and feet, the body of Christ to be witnesses. To tell everyone everywhere about the good news of this great story. Now after he gives that commission, that co-mission, that partnership of mission of go and be my witnesses. We pick up the story in Acts chapter 1. And in Acts 1, verse 8 through or verse 9, he said, After he said all that, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky. The disciples that were walking, they're like, What? It's like we went David Blaine on us, but like for real. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly, as they're watching, dumbfounded, Two men dressed in white stood beside them. They're angels. Men of Galilee, they said. Well, why do you stand here looking into the sky? And I'm thinking like the disciples like, what do you mean why do we stand here? We just saw Jesus like, <laughs> like of course we're going to stand here and look into this sky. And the angels say, don't, 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 just, don't just stand there. This same Jesus who has been taken from you 
into heaven will come back. Say it with me. This same Jesus, not a different, not a substitute, not something kind of like that same Jesus who's been taken from you and put into heaven and taken into heaven is going to come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. In fact, we know the place. We don't know the time, but we know the place that he will, re, he will re-enter on the Mount of Olives there overlooking Jerusalem. And Jesus will come back. And it's something we've said for a long time. Every generation since this scripture was written, since the eyewitness saw Jesus ascend into heaven, we've been saying this, Jesus is coming again. But the more we say it and the more generations pass that don't see Jesus come back, sometimes we're attaching a little bit of like, really? Really? He's coming back. I know my grandparents said that. My great-grandparents said, this is the first time I'm even hearing this. Tell me more about that. Like, no matter where you are, the truth is it is a key doctrine for the body of Christ to believe that Jesus not only was there 2,000 years ago and with us in spirit, but also he's coming back again. And he's going to start, he's going to finish what he started. It was a garden. He's going to create a new garden, a new heaven, and new earth. Now, my generation, your generation, the previous generations, we don't know which generation it's going to be, but here's what we do know. Someone's generation will be the final generation. Someone's. Someone's generation is going to be the final generation, and God's going to say to his son, go get them. Go get them. It's real. It's going to happen. And listen, you may be saying, I don't, if you can wrap your mind around a loving God who would send his only son as a sacrifice for you, if you can believe in a heaven, if you can believe in a, in, in a virgin birth, if you can believe that Jesus is who he says he is, you've got to trust that when he said, I'm coming back, or the angel said he's coming back, he's coming back. And this could be the final generation. And we don't have to be scared of that. Instead, we need to lean into that. But since... Since the apostles watched him ascend, people have been waiting for him to come back. You, 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 you fast forward 10 days, and they're gathered in the upper room, and they're waiting on Jesus to come back 10 days after he ascended. And instead of him coming back, he comes back, but it's in a different gift. It's in a different form. It's in the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit who empowers the church, the body of Christ on earth, until Jesus himself comes again and forms a new heaven and new earth. And then you fast forward about a thousand years to, to December 31st, 999, 999. St. Peter's Basilica, the one that has the, the beautiful Michelangelo painting on the cathedral ceiling. St. Peter's Basilica, that church is packed to the gills with family and friends. And they have their hands raised in worship. The clock is about to strike midnight to January 1, 1000. And the rumor has gone around that Jesus is coming back January 1, 1000. Store owners are giving away. They're not having an 80% off. They're having a 100% off sale. I went to Tijuana with my mom and dad a few years ago, and the guy was saying, everything for everything, 50%, 70%, 100% off. I don't think he knew what he meant. <sighs> but store owners were giving away stuff. Banks were forgiving debt. Prisons were releasing inmates. They believed so wholeheartedly that Jesus was returning on January 1, 1000. Sure enough, they prayed into midnight, and the bells struck, and they said, take for now. And two weeks later, banks were like, we need to rethink this whole loan forgiveness program. You know, prison wardens were chasing down Cephas and saying, come on back. And, you know, there was store owners that said, no more 100% off. We got to, actually, are you interested in this credit card right now, you know? So fast forward even Further, another 900 and some years to September 11th, 1988. And the book that hit the evangelical world was 88 Reasons Why God is Coming Back, Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. And it happened to be September 11th, 1988. I was in third grade, living in Paola, Kansas. My dad was a pastor there at the church, and we didn't buy into that because Scripture is clear. We'll talk about that in a moment that nobody knows the exact time. But I remember walking through the dining room, and my dad pulled open the curtain and looked in the sky like that. He said, Jeremy, 
he's coming. And I went, oh, oh. And I'm starting thinking, did I, ah, did I ask forgiveness? Am I good? I don't want to be left behind. I'm thinking, man, I wanted to get married. I wanted to have kids. I wanted to get my driver's license. You know what I mean? Like I hadn't lived, Jesus. I want to live. Fast forward to the technology age of Y2K. Where the Terminators are going to take over. The computers are going to take over the world in the year 2000. In the year 2000. And sure enough, December 31st, 1999, people are preparing like the second coming of the Lord because, you know, computers are going to go kaput. 2012. Many of you, most of you, if not all of you around in 2012. In December 12th of 2012, because of the Mayan calendar and all these alignments that Jesus is coming back in 2012. A few years ago, this, this heat of these blood moons that you would see in the sky. Blood moons leading us to another indication that Jesus is coming again. There's all kinds of signs. Someone's generation will be the final generation. But, but, but if you're looking for who really knows, the truth is nobody knows when except one person. Matthew 24 reveals that person. But about that day or hour, Jesus says, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And God himself, who spun the world into existence, chooses to hold that moment where he says... Son, go get them. It's time. Now, we don't know what generation it could be. Somebody's will be the final. My question for us today that I'm inviting you to grapple with, this core doctrine, beyond salvation, beyond divine healing, beyond the empowerment of the church of the Holy Spirit, this core doctrine of the church of the second coming of Christ, could it be our generation? Could it, could it be? Our generation. What does the Bible say about the specific kind of signs that would show us whether or not it's the right season? We don't know the day or the hour, but there is a season of where things will be happening in the world that is revealed to us in Scripture. There are signs that we can look at. It reminds me of, a, uh, of, of one street, and there was a Baptist church on this side, and there was a Methodist church on this side, and the, the Baptist pastor was out in the lawn, and the Methodist pastor was out in the lawn, and they were both hammering in signs into their grass in the church property. And one of the, Bab the Baptist pastors says, the end is near. And the, and the Methodist preacher, his said, turn now, turn now. And some car drove past them looking at the signs and honking the horn and waving. And then all of a sudden you heard this huge crash. And the Baptist pastor looks at the Methodist pastor and says, should we should have just written the bridges out ahead? <laughs> you know. Because <laughs> the car. See, See, sometimes signs are unclear. But the Bible gives us clear signs. And you know how we have a past tense, a present tense, and a future tense. What I want to talk to you about today is the intense signs of the end. Not just the future, but the end of time as we know it, where God will reestablish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And the new heaven and new earth will, will reign with him forever on this new heaven and new earth. It's going to be intense in the intense times. The Bible shows us several different. Let me just give you a few today. If you're taking notes, you can go to your smartphone app. You can download the Timber Creek Church app, and you can click messages, and you can fill in the blanks right there and then email your, yourself the messages. Or right there on the worship guide on the back, right there in the, uh, the back page, you can fill in the blanks. I want you to get these things. Here are just some, some of the many signs in the Word of God that point to, could it be this generation? Number one, the sign will be there will be apathy in the church and in the Christ follower. Hey, marriages, let me tell you the number one killer of your marriage. It's not an affair. It's not financial issues. It's not figuring out how to fight fair. You can get beyond those things. You really can. Many marriages have and many marriages will. But the number one killer of marriages is apathy. Apathy is defined as 
just a loss of any concern. Basically saying, I just don't care. I just don't care. And really acting that way. And there are many churches and many people in the churches. And we have to do a little bit of some self-inventory today to ask, are we in any parts of our lives apathetic? A lack of concern, a lack of care, a lack of, 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 of what God wants to do through our lives. A lack of what Jesus wants to do where we come into church maybe because we were forced by a friend or, or we're here because my spouse said, you know, just come on to come to church with me. That's one time for my birthday when you come. And so you came for her birthday and you're here and you're like, I don't want to, I can't wait till I get out of here because I got all kinds of fun stuff to do on Sunday. And you're here and I just want to say, be cautious with how you respond to Jesus. Because apathy is like a killer. I want us all to investigate our hearts. Is there any area where we become apathetic in our relationship? Apathetic with, between us and Jesus? Because that's a sign of the end. That, that the church would be led off by deceitful spirits and, and apathy and, and the wrong thing. And not a care would kind of infiltrate. And we got to be on mission and be about what Jesus is about. Listen, we sang that, that song just a minute ago. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. You know, in my circles, there are pastors fighting each other on whether we should sing that song. Because the word reckless, because God is not a reckless God. He is a purposeful God. We sing the word reckless. It doesn't, he's not reckless. He's intentional. And they're fighting at the top of their thumbs on Facebook whether we should sing the, the song, Reckless Love. My take is, when I think of Jesus saying, I'm a shepherd who will leave the 99 and go after the one, you know what that sounds like? That sounds pretty reckless to me. Like, what if you had a daycare, had 100 kids in your daycare? <laughs> and one got away. I got to sit here for a second. My mom was watching our... Severely autistic nephew, her grandchild. She turned around for a moment, and he is like a master. He's almost, he's 15. He's a master escape artist. And she turned around for a moment, and, be, and before she knew it, she looked, the front door was open, and Caleb had escaped into the neighborhood with a major highway right behind their home. And my mom, she's not a marathon runner. Let's, I mean, she's just not. She doesn't even put on shoes. It's the middle of the heat of summer. She's running. She's just running. Busts through, just runs through the door, doesn't even shut it, doesn't grab her keys, doesn't grab her phone. She's running through the neighborhood. She's screaming at the top of her lungs, help, help, somebody help. Caleb's missing. Neighbors are coming out. Who's getting killed over at the Yancey home? And immediately they start calling 911, and sure enough, about a quarter mile down the road at the swimming pool, because Caleb loves to swim, he was sitting nonverbal, completely nonverbal. He's standing at the wrought iron fence looking into the pool. And when mom finds Caleb, it, she, didn't, she wasn't even thinking about the other eight grandkids. She wasn't thinking about the other eight grandkids. What was she concerned? Oh, Caleb. Oh, Caleb, I thought we lost you forever. Oh, Caleb, I'm so sorry. Oh, Caleb, we found you. And the heart of Jesus is he leaves like he knows you're grand. He knows you're a kid. But he's like he's chasing after the one. Maybe you're it. He's chasing after you. Don't let apathy miss the kind of chasing reckless love of God. And churches are complaining about whether we use that word or not. I don't even understand. I don't even really get it. All I know is I was once blind, but now I can see. I was lost, and now I am found amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like you and a wretch like me. And that's what we ought to be about and not be apathetic. <laughs> Number two. The intense signs of Christ's return is many will doubt his return. It's like, you know, as kids, you wait till your mom and dad leave and leave you home for a while. And then you get into a little bit of trouble. And just when you think your, family, your parents are really gone, they come back. I mean, that's my experience, <laughs> you know, when I was a kid. Oh, let's go, let's, let's have something fun. Let's do this. Let's, let's, let's strip down our underwear and throw eggs at each other, Jared. That'll be fun. 
And here we are in the garage throwing eggs at each other like roulette. And my dad walks through the door and says, what in the world did I just, what kind of cult situation did I just walk into? <laughs> Many will doubt his return. Second Peter 3 says it like this. I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers, they'll come mocking the truth and following their own desires. Doing their own thing. What feels right to them. I said this last week, and let me say it again. Many people don't like the God that disagrees with them. And if we want to serve the God that agrees with us and our lifestyle and our decisions and our actions, if we're looking to serve the God that agrees with us all the time, you're trying to be God. God's not going to agree with you because he's God. And somebody just kind of doubt the whole thing, mocking the truth. Goes on to say, they'll say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything's remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his creation. And the same God that could breathe dust into life has promised he's going to return. Many doubting his return is just a sign that Jesus could come back at any time. Number three, there will be an exponential increase of knowledge and technology. In the book of Daniel, uh, there are half the chapters that are historical and the other half, the latter half, that are prophetic. Prophetic prophecy is a, a, a vision of the future given by divine revelation. Given by God a peek into what's going to happen on the other side of the valley. And in that prophetic piece of Daniel, we see God speaking to Daniel. And here's what he says in Daniel 12. You, Daniel, want you to shut up the words, like close down the words, seal the book until the time of the end. Talking about the end times. Many at that time are going to run to and fro and knowledge will increase. Knowledge shall increase. From the time of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden... To the time of my great-grandparents, there was not much change in technology and knowledge. We began to get some things with understanding bacteria and understanding some science and medicine. But, but there was not a, a big major shift. There was gradual incremental changes in science and technology. But now if you look at the last 60 to 70 years, it's amazing how technology and knowledge has increased. There's been an exponential advancement of knowledge and te technology. Now think about this. My great-grandparents rode to work in a horse and buggy, and so did Julius Caesar. And now we have planes and trains and automobiles and We've, we've, got, we've got magnetic trains and we've got uh, lunar landings and drones. Drones. Like your kids are flying drones and the military's flying drones. Like there's been this incredible advancement. Up until the 1900s, the way of heating a house was like wood and fire. And now it's electricity and we got light bulbs and laser beams. And we used to be able to only communicate through hieroglyphics and word of mouth and, 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 and smoke signals. And now we've got Snapchat. Like, stuff has increased. And because of that increase of knowledge and technology, it makes sense some of the other scriptures that you read in the prophetic books that wouldn't make sense if you're reading them in the Bronze Age. For example, in Zechariah, the scripture says, this is the plague with which the Lord will strike all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Okay, This is the kind of plague. Now, if you're in the Bronze Age, you're thinking of a disease. It goes on to say, the flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets. Their tongues will rot in their mouths. What you see is an instantaneous thing because of the standing on their feet. Like, it's not like they got sick and laid in bed and over time. This is a moment. In the Bronze Age, you're thinking, man, what kind of plague is this? But in 2018, I mean, 60 years ago, people were standing on 
on Japanese soil, and in a moment, their bodies dissipated with an atomic bomb. The nuclear technology we have today makes this scripture make a whole lot more sense in 2018 than it would in 422 B.C. There's also this talk in the book of Revelation about two witnesses who will be assassinated, laid in front of everybody. These witnesses that will proclaim the good news in the end times. And the, and the scripture says in Revelation 11, for three and a half days... Men from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them. Now, 55 years ago, in a church service on a Sunday morning, communicating this same scripture, even 55 years ago, in many of you, some of you, most of you, your lifetime, you say, how is everybody going to be gazing on at the same? Is everybody going to live in one location? Because just 55 years ago, we started to see the television. The 55, 65 years ago, the television comes out. I mean, radio, they said they would see, but radio is there, but it's not going to be radio. And television, oh, maybe that's it. Or, well, now we have satellite TV. But now, now with Facebook Live. Listen, I was in Africa in a remote village. And they're, they're friending me on Facebook. Why? Because technology skipped a technological generation because they didn't have the infrastructure to run all the cables and the wires and everything. But they did have the infrastructure in Africa to go straight from nothing to just like, you know, smoke signals and high to all the way to Wi-Fi and smartphones. And now with Facebook Live, the possibility of this scripture is in your pocket. You see how God is an intentional God. Could this be the final generation? I don't know. Could it be ours? I don't know. But we ought to live like it is. Number four, there'll be an increase of wars, famine, disease, and earthquakes. Now you would figure, this is, this is one of those paradoxes, because with more knowledge and more technology, you would think it would lead to more peace, to more prosperity, to more health, and to less issues. But you've read the news. I read the news. I watch the news. And what we see Jesus talking about a couple thousand years ago in Matthew chapter 24 happens right now every day. Here's what it says. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are not by accident. God, where are you? It's the story of God happening before our very eyes. All these are the beginning of birth pains. This is a long labor. It's a long labor, but it's the beginning of birth pains. I mean, you watch CNN for three minutes, CNN, constantly negative news. That's what it, that's what it is. It's constantly negative. And you watch it. And let's see, wars and rumors of wars? Check. Famines? You know what? We thought with agricultural advancement and irrigation systems that we would be able to eradicate famine. Famine is just as much an issue today in 2018 as it was in Egypt with, with Joseph and Pharaoh. It's an issue. Listen. America spent $65 billion last year on weight loss supplements. We're trying to lose weight. The rest of the world's trying to gain weight. If we put $65 billion into nourishment over the course of three to four years, that kind of fusion, it'd be amazing what we could do to the world. But it won't change the reality that in the last days, there will still be people hungry. Guess what? What that means is that the church continues to need to do its job when Jesus says, I'm hungry, give me something to eat. I'm thirsty, give me something to drink. Until you're in heaven, you won't have the opportunity in heaven to quench a thirsty soul. All of the souls will be quenched. When you're in heaven, you won't have a chance to put food in the mouth of somebody who's hungry because everybody will have the bread of life there in person. But until that time comes, we're going to have issues. Disease, earthquakes, hello. 
hurricanes, temp weather stuff. Just last year, do we remember? It was this time last year that Houston became a lake. We had issues past that, several different tropical storms all at once. I'm telling you, what are the signs saying? We don't know the exact time, but we are living in a season where Jesus could come back in any moment. And I think of the tribe, out of the 12 tribes of Israel, this son called Issachar, they were known for their wisdom. In fact, Chronicles says it like this, the men of Issachar, they understood the times and they knew what Israel should do. And what I want to invite you to do is know the time we're living in and know how to respond to it. So whether Jesus comes back in your lifetime or not, how should we respond to the reality of a second coming of Christ? How should we respond? Well, number one, it's very simple. Get ready. Like, get ready. Don't walk around apathetic. Stir yourself back up. Ask Jesus to stir you back up and, and, and be ready for what God wants to do through your life right now, this side of eternity. First Thessalonians says it like this, let us not be like others in our neighborhood, others in our family, others in our, in our workplace, others in our marriage who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. Let us be awake and sober, like knowing the times and be wise with how we live. Because he's expecting us to follow him. That's who he's after. Those who follow him and put their trust in him. Jesus says it like this in Matthew 24. When the son of man returns, it's going to be a lot like this. It's going to be like it was in Noah's day. You remember Noah? Noah in Genesis? Noah in Genesis 6? Noah hears from God, build a boat. And he's in the middle of the Turkish desert. His best friend walks over. He's been building a boat for three years. Took him, took him three decades to build the boat. He's building this boat, and his friend comes and says, man, I'm your friend. My only concern is you, but like, dude, Noah, bro, where are you going to like float this thing? There's not water for miles. We're in the middle of the desert. But Noah knew that God said build the boat. He lays down with his wife at night, and she turns off desperate housewives of, housewives of Turkey, and she looks at him and says, Noah, can you just... Hold me and remind me one more time what God's voice sounded like when he said, spend our entire inheritance on this boat. I wonder if Noah had to look in the mirror, taking his tool belt off, sunburned nose, scarred up, bruised up, you know, dark purple thumb from hitting himself with a hammer. He goes, oh, Lord. He said, I am listening, you know. And his neighbors just watched him. They just watched him. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings and Facebook. and Their own little get-togethers and their own stuff and their own busyness and their own corporate ladder and their own 401k. Their own tournaments and their own parties. Right up to the time Noah entered his boat. See, everybody was like, Ah, oh, come on. You're going to believe in that. You're going to believe that crackpot, Noah. God told you. God said. Oh, you're really going to believe that 3,500-year-old book called the Bible? That's a relic. It ought to be in a museum. You're really going to believe that? Yeah. Just like the guys in Noah's day as they're sipping their lattes at the local Starbucks, and all of a sudden the little pitter-patter of water starts to hit the umbrellas on the outdoor pavilion. They say, it hadn't rained in forever. And then all of a sudden it becomes this downpour and this tropical storm and this deluge. And then the Bible says, the ground burst open and the cisterns of the deep poured out. And people began to wade through the, the neighborhoods and Noah's old neighbor that said, Noah, he's sitting in his own living room in his lazy boy in his coffee tables floating. And he said, oh, dear God, the crackpot was right. 
And he runs to the boat, but the boat's door had already been shut. God closed the door. Can you imagine what Noah and his three kids heard inside that boat? The pounding of palms. Noah, we're sorry. We should have listened. Take my kids. Take my grandkids. Could you imagine Mrs. Noah saying to Noah, Noah, open the door. Open the door. This, these, are, these are our friends. And Noah's like, I can't open what God closed. We'll all die. And Jesus says, the coming of the Lord is going to be like that. It's going to be like that. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That's the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour in the mill. One will be taken, the other left. This is talking about your co-workers. This is your co-workers. This is your sister. This is your friend. This is your dad. Working side by side in the family business. And it's real. And I hate it that churches have been known to try and scare people out of hell and into heaven. We can call it scaring the hell out of people. That won't last. You'll never love Jesus because you're scared of him. I mean, what son loves their dad because they're scared of what he might do when he gets home? You love your dad because you love your dad and he loves you. And he's shown his love. And Jesus says, so you too must keep watch for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. He puts the, he puts the final nail in and he says, look, understand this. If a homeowner knew, listen everybody, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch. He'd have himself and his two friends, Smith and Wesson. He'd be keeping watch and not permit his house to be broken into. How many of you ever had somebody break into your junk, break into your house, break into your car, steal something from you? My first day at college at Southwestern Assemblies of God University, somebody broke into my room, stole all the money my mom put in a little card that she wrote a note in. She gave me 120 bucks. That's how much, you, how much we had. 120 bucks in a, in a I love you, son, as we drop you off for college card. Broke in at the Bible school. Stole my stuff. You want to talk about feeling violated. And I was watching everybody. If I knew something was going to happen, I'd keep watch. Friends, know this. Jesus is coming again. Know it and act like it. You must also be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Number two, I should think clearly. I should think Clearly, look what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be what? Clear. Say it again. Be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can what? Think it through, strategize, contemplate, get yourself a fallback plan, save up all your stuff in a bomb shelter which is fine no so you can pray so you can pray prayer aligns us with God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven do you know when people I, I, I gotta come to God because when I come to God in prayer it aligns my spirit it makes what he wants what I want and when I go to God, it's my problems are big and my God is small. And the more I talk with God, my problem's big, my God is small, my problem's big, my God is small, my problem's big, my God is small. My problem's not so big. My God is bigger than I thought. My problem's a little bit less. God is bigger. My problems are small. My God is big. My problems are small. My God is big. My problems, who, who can stop the Lord Almighty? My God is the God of heaven and earth. And when we pray, that's, that's why we pray. We don't pray to be good Christians. We pray to align our hearts with his story for our lives on earth. We, 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 we spend time in prayer thinking about earth and telling heaven about it. But really it's about God telling us about heaven and living heaven on earth. That's what prayer does. These next two Wednesday nights, I'm inviting you. Had a huge turnout last Wednesday for a wonderful time of worship and prayer. We need to pray. 
look, look, you need to serve somewhere, make a difference. You need to serve somewhere. But we need as a church to pray. I need you to pray. I cannot pray all the prayers as this pastor of this church that need to be prayed over the hurt, the lost, the bound up, the captive that are in Angelina County in the timber country of East Texas and the world. I can't pray enough prayers. That's why he's called all of us to pray. I invite you to be with me as we grow closer to God in this season of back to school. This Wednesday, next Wednesday, 7 p.m., one hour, right here in the worship center so we can pray and be clear-minded. Number three. I should focus on relationships. First Peter goes on to say, the Apostle Peter in, in that first book, he says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without what? Grumbling. Yeah, yeah. Man, you don't want to know, mumbling, grumbling, complaining, and critical. We lift our hands, love you, Jesus. And then we're like, mm, did you see what she was wearing at church? Mm-hmm. Mm-mm-mm. We 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 want to we want to say yes, amen, and then mumble and grumble and complain. He says, no, 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 no. We got to love each other deeply. Offer hospitality without grumbling. Time is short. Like, be the kind of Christian people want to hang out with. We got to focus on relationships. Next week we have Next Step Sunday, and we're launching our 100 groups and Grow Track and Encounter and all these different opportunities. These, these, these circles that you can be a part of to grow closer and become more like Jesus and 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 be with people that are like-minded. You need one another. We need each other. We got to focus on relationships. I invite you, don't miss next week when we unroll all that. And I I start a brand new series called About That Life. It's about looking beyond ourselves. In fact, I think we have a a little sneak peek video of that. Would you guys put that up there real quick? During the week, I like to get people fit. Two years ago, Jesus got a hold of my life. Now, every Sunday, I'm whipping these 10-inch rims, picking folks up. You know why? Because I'm about that life. Next week, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover four things that every Christ follower, senior saint, or baby Christian, that God has planned since the beginning of time, four steps that every one of us should be taking and examining in our lives. Four steps. You need to bring a friend. It's going to be an easy invite, a fun day, but it's also going to be an opportunity where it might just be your friend accepts Jesus. So I'm going to share the gospel of these four steps. In these next three weeks about that life, we're going to talk about we, we, we can't be apathetic. we got to focus on relationships. And also, number four, we got to make a difference. We got to make a difference. First Peter goes on to say, each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others. Faithfully administering God's grace. See, we are conduit vessels of God's grace to people. So when people say, I don't want anything to do with church, it's not church that they have a problem with. It's the conduit. It's the people that they've had the problem with. Because we have failed in many times faithfully administering the grace of God. Now we have, I mean, like hit the bullseye on administering the wrath and the criticism and the gossip and the judgmentalism. But we missed it to use our gifts to serve others the way Christ served us. Not not, not to tell people how bad they are and slap them in the face with a spiritual belt thinking God just can't wait to sap them. God can't wait to chase after them. They take one step. The prodigal son just started on the driveway and the father was waiting at the screen door. Kick that screen door off the hinges. Came chasing after the son who was lost. So as we wrap up this whole deal, are we living in the last days? Could this be it? Everybody look at me in the eyes. I know what happens. See, I'm going to start putting one final blank, like number five, and it's going to be blank. It's not even going to mean anything. So that instead of like right now you got the final blank, so you're putting your stuff in, you're making sure you got the grocery list for Brookshire's because you want to go, you forgot some potatoes for the... 
I'm going to start putting that blank. Okay. And, and listen, I want to say this to you with a, with, a, with a heart of kindness and love. Sometimes what happens, I get to this moment of the service, and we, we want to be the first out of the parking lot, like this is some kind of cowboy stadium or something. And we start walking up, you know, and we leave, or we want to get our kids first, we want to skip the line. God still wants to do something until the final amen and you're dismissed. So today I'm going to ask, don't leave until I say you're dismissed. God wants to do something. In the last moments of our worship, when we sing this final song, when we worship God with the receiving of our offerings and we drop our connect cards in, and some of you are about to pray a prayer with me because God's been on your heart all during this service that you need to get right with him. And in just a moment, I'm going to help you find that pathway to God through prayer. And you need to wait till this moment so you can drop that in so we can help you with some next steps. But if I could take this six-month experience of starting in Genesis and ending today with the return of Jesus, return of the King. If I could boil it down to four things that you and I have got to be about, it would be this. Live for his story, not yours. Live for his story. His story is higher. His thoughts are greater. You don't understand. Lean into him. Lean not on your own understanding. If I could boil it down to four things, I'd say, stand for truth. When everyone else is swimming in an ocean of deception, that you would stand for truth. And truth not being what the pastor just said on a Sunday, but truth being found in the person of Jesus Christ. If I could boil it down to four things, I'd say, don't hide it, divide it. Share the story. I don't want to go to heaven alone. I want to bring as many people with me as I can because I told them about the good news. To be witnesses in our own Jerusalem, in our own Judea and Samaria. We're about, we've been, we've been doing all the demo of 22,000 square foot in Nacogdoches on North Street in the Northview Plaza. We're about ready to make some major decisions to renovate that whole thing and launch services. Why? Because God told us to. Because God told us to go beyond our own Jerusalem, go beyond our zip codes and city limits. And our little, this little city of Nacogdoches right over here, a sister city, there are people that need, we got enough churches in there, don't we? Until heaven is full, we need churches that are mobilized, showing the love and kindness of Jesus wherever we may go. And finally, prepare to meet Jesus. I end with this thought. We're gonna pray. I'm gonna be vulnerable and open with you. I have this recurring dream. And I, I had it last night. And I wasn't even gonna share this until I started talking to Janet this morning about this dream. I, I, I was putting my jacket on to go out the door. And I said, man, I had that cra crazy dream again. And it just hit me. I, I think God wants me to share this with you. I have this dream where I show up to church and it was it's, year, it's years ago, but it's now. Because there are pink pews. We used to have pink pews in the in here, and and berry red carpet because of the blood of Jesus is red. And 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 I stand up on this platform, and I don't know what I'm preaching. And I come up and say, "Hey, everybody! So glad you're here. Turn to me. Turn with me to." And all of a sudden, I start sweating. I get nervous. I don't know what to say. And you're looking at me like, "Are you not prepared?" And then I wake up, I say, oh, thank you, Jesus. It's still Saturday, you know. I had this dream where I show up and I, I, and I forgot to wear my pants. I'm kidding, I kid you not. That's like, like if you remind me of a psychologist in the room, you say, I haven't, there's, there's actually a something about, I don't, whatever, okay. Whatever. Last night I had this dream that I'm dressed in like 1950s get up. And I got three other friends with me and we come up onto the platform and we're gonna do a, a, a skit. And as we start, none of us remember the lines. And we're standing here and there's a room full of people and we're like, what do we say? Was that? And we kind of go, and we kind of run off. And I say, I'll be back in a second. I'll be back, sorry, J just a minute. Let me change out of these clothes. So I go to the back and I change clothes. And when I get my jeans on to come out here, I realize my jeans have a huge hole in them from the zipper all the way to the bottom of the leg. And so behind stage over here, I grabbed, this is last night, 
I had nachos late, I guess. I pull, I pull the curtain back. I say, sorry, my pants ripped. I'll be, I'll be out in just a second. And I'm looking frantically backstage for some clothes. And I find like sweatpants that are way too small. And I show up in sweatpants and I'm standing here. I'm like, and I wake up and I say again, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you know, that that wasn't really happening. There's just something about not being prepared that gets me nervous. Something about not being prepared that gets me scared. Something about not being prepared just, man, cold sweat. I don't want anyone in this room to not be prepared for when Jesus comes back. Be prepared. Pastor, how do you do that? Well, you don't do it. Actually, Jesus did it. When he died on the cross, he prepared the way. He prepared access to the Father. And then he ascends into heaven. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. See, you think that, like, you're preparing your own place? No, no, no. He's preparing the place. So the only thing you could do is surrender to him. Okay, Jesus, you are who you say you are. And today, I give my life to you. Would you close your eyes with me all across the room? If you're here and you realize, I need Jesus in my life. Pastor, would you pray with me to align my life with Jesus? I don't even know what to do next. That's okay. Start here. Start here. If that's you, you say, Pastor, would you pray with me? I want to invite Jesus to be the center of my life, my Lord and Savior. Maybe for the first time or maybe you've drifted and you just want to say, uh, it's time to get prepared again. If that's you. Would you put a hand up in the air? I'm not going to embarrass you. Put a hand up in the air. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Many hands. Many hands. Anybody else? Quickly. Quickly. Anybody else? I need to prepare my heart. Yeah. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Jesus sees you way beyond I saw you. He sees your heart. In your own words, you simply invite Jesus. Jesus, be the center of my life. Forgive me for trying to be my own God, my own king, my own ruler. I step off of the throne of my life and I invite you to take residence as the king of my life today. I know I'm not perfect, but you are. Thank you for not being mad at me, but for giving me this moment to make things right with you. This day, 2018, thank you, Jesus. With eyes closed and heads bowed, maybe you've gotten a little comfortable and you realize I need to be living as though Jesus is coming back and I just want to live with a little bit more intensity it's time for me to to shake off the dust step up and live the way Jesus wants me to live I've accepted him as my into my life but I, I I'm not living like I I should in preparation ready for him if that's you would you put a hand up Lord, in all of our lives, all of our hearts, show us where we can lean into you, sacrifice a little bit more to you, surrender completely to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody, would you just give a great hand for those that made a decision to follow Jesus today?